Hello, welcome to the NCTM podcast. In this episode, we're shining the light on the Level 3 Post-16 Maths course, known generically as Core Maths, though confusingly the exam boards all have different names for it. 2020 saw the fifth cohort of students taking Core Maths exams, 12,000 students, numbers growing steadily year on year. The course has been introduced to try to increase the number of students studying Maths Post-16, particularly aimed at those successful at GCSE, but for various reasons not wanting to take Maths at A-level. I'm Gwen Trezida from NCTM Communications and I have with me today Jack and Debu, who is a teacher of Core Maths from Rainford High School in Merseyside, and also Rachel Matheson, who is a research fellow at the School of Education at Leeds University. Rachel's been doing a research project into the successes and challenges of the first few years of Core Maths. Welcome to both of you. I'm interested to know how you both ended up with Core Maths. I imagine very different routes. Jack, do you want to start by and tell us how you came to be teaching it? We're sort of losing a battle with some really, really good mathematicians opting not to do A-level maths because it was too difficult. Right. So is that is that but why you decided to offer the core maths? Um, in this school, yes, we did in, in Rainford. Um, so we, with the pupils back then, because there wasn't anything in between, we would have grade nine pupils doing either humanities or arts in our sixth form. And we could in no way or form convince them to consider doing maths for two years. So um, it, it was something of interest for me. And when I started in Rainford, there was an opportunity to take core maths for the first time in the school. Right. Uh, and I, I was offered it as a way to get to know the sixth form pupils, get to know my peers in the department, and also just to um, uh, sort of like try something new. In case anything did go horribly wrong, then we, we, we could say it's the first time we're doing it and it's a new teacher who's doing it, so to speak. <laughs> But as as it turns out, it's actually been quite a good success. So I'm glad I tried it out. Yeah, yeah, okay. And what about you, Rachel? How did you come to be researching core maths? Uh, well, prior to starting at Leeds, I was teaching in a sixth form college. Um, so I knew a lot about post sixteen education, uh, and core maths was a new post sixteen course that was being offered. Um, so I guess that's my connection with it through looking at the broader post sixteen policy. Oh, interesting. Interesting. OK, so I'm going to talk to Jack first so that we can get a really strong picture about what core maths looks like in his classroom. Okay. Um, and Jack, do you want to start by telling us a bit about Rainford High School so that we've got a bit of context, please? Um, yes. Yeah, so Rainford High School is um, a, a school that's, I would say, just in the middle of three major motorways. So you've got the Rainford Bypass, the East Lang, you've got the M58. So it is a catchment area for very, very big cohort. Uh, we've got pupils coming all the way from Wigan, Skamsdale, Liverpool, St. Helens, uh, all the way around. So right. I would say it's a, diverse, it's a diverse school in terms of our catchment area. Uh, in terms of the, the numbers, yeah, it is a big school because it's also the only secondary school in Rainford. So I would say it's the first option for, for a lot of the pupils and a lot of the parents as well. Right. And um, is maths a strong subject in the, in the sixth form? Yes, I would. And uh, I know I'm a bit biased here, but I would say <laughs> Matt is probably one of the stronger uh, de departments in the school. They do have further maths at GCSE and at A-level as well. Right. Okay. Yeah, we do have quite a big department. Uh, it's about 16 teachers strong. So Gosh. we are well staffed and um, we've also managed to um, retain teachers here for a very long time. And so it's that kind of school where um, I think the staff do enjoy teaching and they do stay for a long time. Yes, right. so maths department has been lucky with um, continuity. 
yeah right okay and and what about core maths how does that fit into your teaching experience have you taught anything like this before no this was the first time uh i i did initially come into it with the wrong uh mentality so to speak after teaching for so many years uh using a mathematical structure of a starter a main and a plenary uh, i throw in an exam question at the end just to see if they've understood and they've made progress that's that that wasn't the way to teach core maths and uh, mm-hmm. took the best of I, i'm going to say took the best of one a whole term for me to get my head around things yeah uh, later on I'll, I'll also um talk about uh, the support i got uh, yeah. from not just the school but from the advanced math support program and the math hubs around the area okay so so you say it's not like teaching other subjects um can you tell me how it's different to teaching a level which is probably what most of our listeners will be familiar with yes so um if you can try and imagine uh that a level maths would be a continuation of gcse maths uh with pupils probably undertaking more of the abstract concepts of mathematics so knowing exactly why the formula works rather than just memorizing a formula all the way through to calculus or pre-calculus uh, with Cormat, it was more relevant mathematics to the pupils at that age. Right. Uh, okay. By that, what I mean is, um, if I could just tell you what the outline was, for example, for the first half term, uh, pupils were supposed to be um, de- they were supposed to develop um, their their anal- analytical skills when it comes to data. So, for example, if they read a, a newspaper article out there which says um, Liverpool and Manchester to go into lockdown due to tier three restrictions. Uh, and then just after that, they would they, they would read the fact that Liverpool has the highest infection rates in the country. Would they be analytical enough to go in and read the information carefully to make sure that A, the heading is not misleading, but B, the mathematical data that's been represented in that newspaper article is mathematically sound. I mean, you've seen it out there where people use statistics to their benefits, especially around election time. Uh, fear mongering and all that so straight away I knew that I wouldn't be able to teach that topic using a textbook right you have to use real life data and you have to use uh, current um, news articles to get the interest but also to go deeply into them and decide yeah I think that's true or I think that's exaggerated right okay so it sounds like you're really developing critical thinking skills to help them process data in the world around them Okay. And so do you want to um, just give me a bit of a picture of the start of a lesson or, or maybe the start of a topic? How would you how would you begin with your students? <laughs> so I'll start by what I used to do, first of all, Okay. which was uh, we normally have a, a template in school where if you if you're going to teach a maths lesson, then the department policy is to have four questions on the board, which are mixed starters. Um, either targeting prior topics, topics that have been covered either at a GCSE level or last week or the week before, or maybe throwing in one question to get the understanding of an upcoming topic so to know how far you need to go with it. Right. Um, so that's what I used to do. I used to start the topic by giving them four questions on the board. Uh, we'd go through the starter questions and then say, well, today our objective is going to be, uh, for example, looking at sampling methods. And we would then go through the lesson looking at the different sampling methods. And then at the end of it, I said, right, now that you know how to do that, can we do this exam question independently? Uh, we, do, we would have a lot of question and answers and discussion right through. But ultimately, the goal would be pupils have to make progress from not knowing to knowing within right. an hour. 
And like I said, that pretty much restricted the lesson to be a normal GCSE lesson, if anything. Fast forward to maybe a couple of, uh, after a couple of meetings with uh, the Maths Hub group and, and, and uh, the AMSP group as well. And the best advice I was given is to free yourself of the shackles of a lesson structure and just allow yourself to go with the discussion. Trust, trust yourself enough to know that if the pupils will discuss about something that doesn't look like maths, eventually it will lead to some maths. Okay. So I did try something different. Um, I, I remember this This actually worked out quite well for me because I, I, I also help out with the Duke of Edinburgh Awards game in school. Yeah. And we had a weekend away with um, some year 10s doing a practice walk. And one of the, the groups that I was supervising did really well. I mean, they, they did the course in, in less than two hours and we expect them to do it in about maybe four hours. Uh, and so the question in my mind was, was there something that gave them the advantage or is it because predominantly the group was made up of boys? Yeah, Controversial. Yeah, I, I wasn't sure. So I said, you know what, I'm just going to pause it and maybe I just throw a bit of controversy in there. What do you think? <laughs> and they said, what year are they in? They're in year 10. Could it be that they have maybe just done a module in geography on map reading and navigation that has made them quite good at reading the route? And I said, you know what, I don't know, but I'd love to find out. Uh, what if they're also really good at, I don't know, calculating the fastest route from one point to another? And that triggered something in me. That, that, that made me think about Pythagoras' theorem. If you need to go from point A to point B, then to point C, would they quickly figure out that maybe there's a faster route to go from point A to C straight away by cutting out the other two shorter sides? Uh, and so it led to a discussion. So how would we find out if, if there is a connection between pupils' success in geography and maths, i.e. map reading, navigation, and maybe Pythagoras' theorem? And the pupils actually came up with a survey themselves. Um, the first one was asking them a question based on Pythagoras' theorem. The second one was to ask them a question about geography. And that didn't work out. Um, as a teacher, I actually did a pilot survey with one of my other year nine classes came back with the results and say, you know what, that doesn't tell us much. Can we refine it a bit better? And so we went through the process of looking at um, a survey, criticizing it and saying, well, that's going to mislead us. Why don't we change one question to be, how often do you actually walk out, uh, take walks with your family or something like that? Because I think that's more relevant than have you been taught geography by the certain teacher. <laughs> Right. Um, after, after a couple of hours, we ended up with data that led to correlation. So if people scored, uh, I don't know, six out of six in the Pythagoras question and in the other question, and the pupils said uh, they, they, they do take the Duke of Edinburgh, is there a correlation between the two variables? And as it turns out, there was. Uh, but then we also did say, um, I think we're trying to force an issue because we're not very sure there is a connection between Pythagoras and Duke of Edinburgh. So in reality, the last question is usually, can you can you criticize your answer and decide correlation is not causation? So there could be uh, an increase in both variables at the same time, but yeah. one doesn't necessarily affect the other. Yeah, yeah, I think that was the first time I actually had just a discussion with a class that led to some proper math. And the, the people also felt comfortable after that to um, to just open up and say something that that's got nothing to do with the topic after that. A um, couple of examples on, uh, I've got a year 12, sorry, a year 12 pupil who has a part-time job 
and she actually felt confident enough to tell us about her working experience when mm. we were calculating tax and NI. And I thought, yeah, that that I think is what the cause is about, just making it relevant to the people to a point where they can actually contribute and say, you know what, I now know how to calculate my taxes and my NI as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It sounds it sounds a little bit I don't know if you taught GCSE coursework, but it sounds a little bit like how GCSE coursework started when you yes. could be really quite creative with students. I mean, it rapidly became very, very formulaic, didn't it? But um, there was a time when there was a little bit more actual kind of ownership of the maths, I think, wasn't there? Yes, I remember I remember back then when we used to um, have um, a large data set supplied for the coursework and you had um, almost eight months to play around with it. Mm. Uh, and, and pupils would do investigations using technology, um, also going out there and collecting data in real life for themselves. That is exactly what core maths actually has been. Well, my understanding is that what that is what core maths should be. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> if, if the pupils, uh, if the teachers are brave enough to have a go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It does sound like you do need to be quite brave, to be honest. I, I mean, I think for teachers that have been working in a very structured way with GCSEs and A-levels, maybe for a good number of years, it sounds like you, you have to let those reins go a little bit. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, one of my colleagues in, the, in one of the working groups actually said um, she had a lesson. It was around summertime in 2018 and she had the ice cream van pull up somewhere close to school <laughs> and she decided, you know what, it's a lunchtime lesson. I'm going to treat the year 12s to ice cream, <laughs> take them out. And while they were there, she asked them to ask the ice cream vendor as many questions as possible, because when they got back to class, her question to them would be, how much does he need to sell each ice cream cone for to make a profit that would sustain his business for a year? And it, it, I think after that, she said it took about maybe four weeks to go through collecting data, analyzing, criticizing and coming yeah. up with a result that would work and say, yeah, yeah. this is mathematically sound. So I'm not there yet, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> teaching goals. So, I want to ask you a bit about the students. Um, how do they find the course? Do they enjoy it? Um, it, it initially, I, I think there was a bit of apprehension uh, and also... Um, a lack of um, information in terms of we didn't have any pupils who had done the course prior to them first group to do of course yeah and they weren't very sure what it was all about so um, I, I started with a cohort of about nine pupils and I'm now down to five this year uh, we're looking to grow that number again in the next year um, the first time the people did join the course they came in because they had an option of either doing an extended essay, so EPQ, mm. or doing core maths. Both okay. of them would be weighted the same. So both of them would be equivalent to half an A-level. Right. And both of them would be a supplementary module on top of three other subjects that they were doing. So they chose to have a go at core maths because the pupils who actually came in did very well in, in their GCSE maths. I think all of them got at least a grade seven. Okay. But they don't intend to use maths after school in uh, in terms of um, the careers that they want to progress to. They wouldn't necessarily have to produce a maths qualification other than a GCSE. Right. So we okay. got lucky in that aspect. So we've got some really strong mathematicians coming in, but they were also like me. They came in, and I think they would also they'll always ask me, sir, is this going to be in the exam, or what would the <laughs> exam question look like? And it took a while to convince them that yes, it will. But the journey to that exam question 
can be fun. It doesn't have to be as structured as an A-level course question. Right. Um, so, yeah, um, they, they were a bit apprehensive to start with. I would say at the moment with them doing continuous exams and um, they've got a mock exam coming up as well, mm. they are now consistently scoring quite highly for them to believe that, you know, I made, I, I made a good decision to take core maths. Right, uh, right. And like I said, we have gone down from nine pupils, nine students down to about five students because a couple of them did join in. I think having been misinformed that because it's half an A-level, it's probably going to be a bit of a sit-off. And it turned out not to be because we do we, we do actually go through some complex mathematical processes as well right. in, in okay. the coursework. Yeah. Okay, so it's pretty academically rigorous then. It is, yeah, it is. Yeah. Anybody who does take core maths will um, will definitely feel a sense of achievement when they do do the exam and they do well in it. Yeah. It's not an easy, it's not an easy exam. Okay, and can you tell me, are you are you doing it over one year or two years at, at your place? Uh, the first time round, we are going to do it over two. Right. Um, I think at some point, if you do have pupils who would like to have the half an A level within the first year and then focus on the the other subjects for the second year, we might offer it as a one year course. I know schools who are doing it. And they've told me it is possible, but you do have to have the right combination, uh, possibly an experienced teacher and a very strong cohort of students who, right. who can do it in one year. Yeah. And so have you got have you got a cohort in year 12 and a cohort in year 13? Um, yes, we do. Right. OK. All right. Um. So you've you found yourself teaching this new course that you knew nothing about or you. And no, that's not true. You knew a little bit about it, but you had <laughs> yeah, never taught it bit. before. Yeah, and um, you've got no colleagues that are taught it. So how on earth did you go about making yourself competent and confident to teach it? <laughs> Winging it. <laughs> um, no, like, uh, like I said before, uh, it's, it's quite a supportive school. So um, wh- when I did say that I've never taught it, the first thing that my Key Stage 5 coordinator uh, did was she actually encouraged me to enroll with the Maths Hub. And I had previously worked with uh, Martin Bambenda and the a- AMSP. Uh, with the A-level groups, right. so I was very familiar with who was running it. So I, I, I thought, yeah, that would be a good idea to start at that point. Um, when I did attend my first meeting, the 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 mix of people who are the meeting were teachers who taught it for three years, and teachers who are teaching for the first time, like myself, and teachers who are thinking of teaching it the next year. So there was a combination of of teachers from varying backgrounds with 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 different levels of experience. So we should stop um, at this point and just um, uh, just for for those listeners that aren't sure about maths hubs and how they work, there are maths hubs all over the country, and most of them have a work group for core maths. Work group being the model that maths hubs use for uh, CPD. So uh, if you are teaching core maths or if you're considering teaching core maths, there should be um, a supportive work group near you. Okay, so Jack, do you want to tell us a little bit more about being a part of this work group and how it supported you? Um, yes. Um, so like I said, we did have um, experienced teachers in the group. So teachers who had actually taken the course through maybe for two or three years. And they were very, very resourceful in terms of um, guiding us and directing us uh, to, to, to resources. But also, um, I, I suppose, as a way to help us avoid the, the many pitfalls that you could fall into if you're not sure what you're teaching. Um, and so it was quite useful. Uh, we also had a chance to pair up and work with uh, a teacher from a different school to create a resource that we could then feed back to the math hub. Uh, and I think that was quite good as well for me to take a chance and do something new. So my 
remit was to see how Comat could support other subjects in my school. Okay. Uh, so being the first time we were doing Comat, uh, I know one of the things that we, we, we tell the pupils when we're signing to them is, if you undertake Comat, then it will support, it will supplement the other subjects you're doing at a level, including psychology, uh, economics, ETC. Uh, and so I, ha- I wanted to actually find out if this was actually true. So I actually carried out a survey with my year 12 to find out what subjects they were doing, but I also got in touch with their subject teachers and they, they were actually quite, quite quite good to give up a bit of the time and just look at the, the math content in their subjects and feed that back to me with the idea that I would then support them with the math component in their subjects. So as an example of um, how I would work with another subject in school, is uh, uh, if I was to use uh, an example of sampling methods again, if I was going to do a survey with the pupils as part of their their lesson, then I would actually use a survey based on textiles. Oh, okay. And and we did quite a really good investigation about um, uh, how much waste does the the whole of the country produce, uh, the United Kingdom produce, by using uh, single use fabrics or single use fashion okay. uh, and so they came up with an idea of well why don't we have a look at um christmas jumpers it was around christmas time and how much does a christmas jumper cost how mm. many people would buy a christmas jumper in one year how many would you buy say for your family's presents will they ever wear them again next christmas probably <laughs> not so we came up with a few figures uh the reason why i did that was because there's a people who was doing textiles as one of the subjects and I found it very difficult to convince her that she would use, she would be using mats in textile at some point. Ah. But we ended up doing that by looking at the cost of fabric and you know the the, the cost of the of wastage, the cost that uh, the country is uh, is going to have to foot the bill of recycling, for example, or upcycling and so on. Yeah, it was yeah. quite useful. It um, sounds like it can be really responsive to the the needs and interests of the students. Yes, so much so that I know that psychology as a subject, as an A-level subject, has got a very, very high component of mathematics in it, to a point where some of the math they are using is almost at par with the year 13 maths that the pupils will be doing. Right. And that was a bit of a surprise, because <laughs> when you tell me about psychology, I, I just think it's a study of human behavior and, you know, and brain and all that. So again, they, they do a lot of sampling and you know statistical analysis and um, testing. So hypothesis testing, they actually do hypothesis testing. I think much much more further than we would normally do at year twelve, possibly right. even year thirteen. So that yeah. was an eye opener. Yeah. Yeah, and um, being as we are talking about, um, we are recording this in autumn twenty twenty. Um, I do need to ask you about. Um, lockdown and how that affected did you teach online while for lockdown um yes we did uh once we knew that we weren't going to be coming back for uh quite a while i think at that point it was indefinite hopefully in september but it could be indefinite Mm. Uh, we decided as a school to go into an online model a remote model where we pupils were set up on google classroom right and all the pupils were guaranteed um contact time with their teachers albeit remotely at least twice a week uh, and that included the core math group as well right and did it work online was it harder than other lessons 
Um, you know what? With with the year 12s, it, it, it worked really well. Uh, okay. I've got to say credit to them. I mean, they are young adults, so they did take responsibility for it uh, in terms of uh, w- once we got the first two lessons out of the way, they were more confident to ask and answer questions online because just like we're doing right now, we had to record the sessions and they were not too sure about that being recorded, asking a stupid <laughs> question in quotes. And I said, you know what? It's just for help, uh, for, for safeguarding. We're never going to bro- broadcast this lesson to anybody <laughs> else other than ourselves in the class. Yeah. And so they did buy into it and credit to them. They they engage with it really well uh, to a point where I think it's it, it's here to stay. I, I generally think although school might one day go back to normal, I think we're going to keep Google Classroom for a while. Right. Um, so currently, as we speak, I've got one of my core maths pupils um, shielding. Yeah. So he's, he's, he's not been in school for a while now, and I don't think he's going to be for the next two or three months. Um, so what we're doing with him is we we do set up the lesson on Google Classroom. Mm-hmm. And although you're going to project in the resources on the board, they can still join in in the lesson from home remotely. I'm finding this incredible that teachers can teach a class in front of them and people at home at the same time. I think it's amazing. <laughs> you know what? And like I said, credit to the pupils. They are really good. I mean, they are very mature about it. Well, credit to the teachers as well, I think. Yeah, and have absolutely. you used the coronavirus situation and the data in that in your um, lessons? Coincidentally, um, uh, we're going to be going into um, critical analysis proper after the half term. And um, I don't know if you've heard of Padlet as a resource yes. for teaching formats. Yeah. yeah. Um, some really okay, good resources over there. Okay, you better explain to our there. listeners what Padlet is because <laughs> they may not know. Okay. <laughs> Uh, Although I so, think, um, I think people have become so much more upskilled in the last few months, haven't they, in terms of yeah, online technology? Too, but yeah. yeah, we'd be dragged into the 21st century, <laughs> becoming a modern teacher. Um, so um, what, what Catherine has done is she's actually collated all the resources for core arts and she's collated them into a really useful website called Padlet.com. Now, right. if you just Google search Cormats Padlet, you will be taken directly to that. And if you're teaching Cormats for the first time, you will see um, sort of like um, teaser questions. If you're going to be teaching critical analysis, um, teaser questions could be something that could be slightly inflammatory, a uh, uh, um, heading that's slightly inflammatory about COVID rates in a certain region. And you'd get the pupils to comment back and say what they've heard about it or what they think about that. And as a result of that, you will start generating, uh, I would say, questions of how how then can we move forward and find out if this is true? Okay, think about where we're going to source the data. Well, guess what? That's the first step of statistics, collecting data. Now, once you get the data, how are you going to verify that it's the right data? How will you verify that you've got enough of one particular survey to say this is a valid result for the whole country? Then we start talking about sample sizes. You can't just do a survey with 20 people, which is what the newspaper did. You have to do a survey with 200,000 people to make it valid for the country. And before they know it, they're in the second step of statistics. So they're now sampling data and representing data and analyzing data. Um, So Padlet is really good with um, uh, resources to help to point in the right direction to start the conversation with the pupils. And I, I, I did have a look at it last week and there is something or I would say a couple of newspaper items that are um, dealing with the COVID pandemic. So it's, it's right. a good place to start. I'm going to bring Rachel in now to give us a bit of a bigger picture, more of a national picture based on her research, um, which involved a number of schools and colleges, I think. How many did you look at, Rachel? Um, we looked at 13 
schools and colleges of all kinds um, who were teaching core maths. And um, as part of the research, we also made sure that we went and spoke to schools and colleges who weren't doing core maths to ask them, you know, why they'd chosen not to do it. Or in some cases, they'd started it and, and then dropped it. Right. And would you say that Jack's experience is typical of um, of the schools and colleges you spoke to, if there is yeah. such a thing? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I've really, really enjoyed listening to, to what Jack's been saying and I've been making some notes actually because <laughs> I'm always interested in people's experiences of core maths but yeah so many things that Jack's just described ring so many bells um, in terms of what we found out um, in the project. Can you give us the sort of your main findings in a nutshell? Well I, I'll, I'll relate it to what Jack's just said actually because okay. there's, there's a good half a dozen things in there that I could speak about straight away so first of all Jack described how he had to sort of relearn how to teach maths um, in order to teach core maths. So it was um, a departure from his normal practice and the normal kind of lesson structure. Um, and he also described how students um, work through problems, not just in one lesson, but over a series of lessons. So the two things there, I guess, are firstly having open ended tasks, which could lead anywhere. Mm. and where there isn't necessarily a right or a wrong answer or black and white and I think that's that's something that there's a, a lot of perception around maths that you have to have a right answer you, you work through a problem and you get to the right answer or a wrong mm. answer whereas <laughs> core maths, here. <laughs> yeah whereas core maths is very much you start out with a problem or a statement or um, a question or a statistic or something from the news and you say, OK, so let's dig into that a little bit further. And, and you don't necessarily know where that's going to lead to. Not even the teacher sometimes knows where that's going to lead to or quite often in core maths. And that's the whole idea that it can go in any direction. So the lesson structure has to be different. You can't start out with, well, let's just check what we learned last time and see if you remember it. Um, it's a completely different way of thinking. Um, and, and some maths teachers really embrace that. Others less so because they are less comfortable and I think you used the word brave earlier on that um, in, in some cases teachers think well perhaps I'm not brave enough to do that but, but other teachers really relish that challenge. Mm. So the, the, the way of teaching commerce is very very different from teaching for example GCSE or A level. Um, another thing is that you, you've actually talked about enjoyment <laughs> Now, not to put too fine a point on it, enjoyment is something that is a bit of an issue in maths. You know, research shows us that many pupils, and this is across the world, you know, not just in, in the UK, many pupils have maths anxiety. Maths can be something that's highly pressurised. Um, it, th th there is something about having to um, be good enough in inverted commas to take maths beyond 16 into the sixth form and I think Jack um, alluded to uh, the fact earlier that uh, A-level math students are the highest grade students and they, they wanted at, at his school they wanted something for those high grade students who'd achieved highly at GCSE uh, but but weren't going to go on to do maths. Core maths was a good thing for them to do, so they've got able students doing core maths. But you know, generally speaking, core, um, taking maths post 16 is uh, is for the higher achievers and those who like maths, those who enjoy maths. So 
trying to find a course for those who are not wanting to do A-level maths or who can't access A-level maths has been very difficult over the last couple of decades, really. So core maths has grown that vacuum. It gives students something else to do, which is mathematical, but doesn't necessarily entail that um, the abstractness, let's say, uh, shorthand of A-level maths. So bringing it to real life issues, problems that are in the news, questions that are in the news, things that relate to the, the pupils' own lives. Core maths is very, very good at that. And it gives the pupils something to engage with. Mm. So the level of engagement with core maths is something that we um, noted really strongly throughout the project. So I want to ask you about, um, Jack talked about um, him having quite a lot of very able mathematicians in his group. Can you tell me, do you think it's suitable for somebody who's maybe got a five at, or a six at GCSE? Yes. <laughs> what, do, what, about, what do you think, Jack? Do you think they would, would they find that more difficult? Um, they, they would probably find aspects of it difficult, but I think overall they would find it useful. Mm, okay. uh, but I, I would also uh, probably point out at this point, uh, when, when a school decides to take on core maths, I think there needs to be an understanding that this will not be one of the subjects that the department needs to be um, sort of he held accountable for. Okay. So as long as the department has that understanding from the word go that if all the people don't get those grade A's and A stars in core maths, yeah. please don't stop the program <laughs> because it is designed to get to, to keep pupils, to keep this, the mathematical skills ticking over for yeah. people who would otherwise have dropped it. Right. And I think also it does it does need a brave department to take that on because we we do get scrutinised a lot on data, don't we? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go on, Rachel. You were you you had other things you were going to say from what Jack said earlier. Yes. Well, just to pick up on some of those things that Jack's saying, this course is intended for students with a grade four and above. Okay. Technically speaking, so um, it, it, schools are implementing it in, in various ways. Some schools are saying, yes, all students with a grade four or above can take core maths. Um, but then you get the problems of differentiation. If you've got students who've had a grade nine and students who've had a grade four in the same class, that can be very difficult to manage. So schools and colleges are um, you know, trying to work that out in their own way. There are schools and colleges that have raised that threshold and said, actually, you need a higher grade. And you know that could be a five or a six or even a seven we've come across. Mm. Um, there are also schools and colleges which have directly targeted core maths at the ones who've got a four or a five. Mm. Um, in order to, as Jack was describing, support other subjects that they're doing in the curriculum. Right. Um, so it very much depends on what the school or college decides it wants to use the course for. And do you think you would need higher level GCSE maths to do it? Well, that was another thing I was going to say. Sometimes the content, if students have done foundation GCSE, then they haven't covered some of that higher level content which is needed in core maths. Mm. So. Jack referred earlier to whether or not to, to do the course in one or two years. We have found that um, in, in places where it's the fours and the fives students uh, who've got a four or a five who are taking core maths, they do really need that longer period to revisit some of those skills or in some cases to meet content or skills for the first time right. um, because they haven't covered that higher content. Yeah. So I think, I think Jack was quite right earlier when he said, um, it's it's much harder for 
students um, to do class in one year if they've got those lower grades, the fours and the fives, and, and yeah. maybe even the sixes in some cases. Can I also pick up on another thing that Jack said, which is about the grades in core maths and how it's maybe not quite so pressurised as the grades that students are getting in GCSE and A-level. And again, that really does reflect a lot of the findings that we had from the project, that um, because core maths grades are not part of, let's say, the normal data tables or the league tables, um, and because quite often students don't need that grading core maths to get to university or to get their job or whatever it might be, then the school or college doesn't put quite so much emphasis on the grade. And it's much more about what students are learning and how they're developing, and particularly the confidence that they're developing through the course, more important than the grade they come out at the end with. And we one of the, the, the most interesting things I found out from the findings was the difference between talking about the core maths course and the core maths qualification. Right. And those two things are very different. The core maths course is about the process of what you're learning throughout that time, as opposed to that, you know, the qualification, the sort of certificate or the grade you come out with at the end. Interesting. Um, and I think a lot of the recommendations from your report are aimed at statutory bodies. Um, but I'm just thinking, can you give us maybe some of the takeaways that would be useful to help schools and teachers make core math successful for students? Yeah. Now, again, this is a difficult one because core maths itself, I mean, Jack was so enthusiastic about the course. And that is largely what we have found in our in our, in our study. Right. The, the overwhelming positive response to the course itself. Notice I'm using the word course, not necessarily qualification. Um, is that from teachers and students? From teachers and students. Overwhelmingly yeah. positive. Um, you know, to, to give some examples, I had a, a, a head of maths who every time I went into the school, she said everyone should be doing this. All students should be doing this. Um, even if we had to do it in registration time, it's so important they should all be doing it. Uh, and then another teacher who said to me, it's the highlight of his week oh. teaching for maths. Um, other teachers who said that it had completely changed the way that they approached maths teaching throughout the school, not just in core maths. Um, and uh, students who, who told me that it had changed their way of approaching how they view the world. So again, it wasn't just about the maths that they were learning. It was about their critical thinking, which again, Jack touched on earlier. Um, it was about learning how to view the world around them in a much more sort of philosophical way, a mm -hmm. way of thinking. Um, so lots and lots of positives. Now, the downsides of core maths are much more to do with how it sits within the post-16 structure. So I was saying earlier how one of my interests in, in, in this research is precisely that. It's the, the post-16 policy which has led to the development of core maths and how that fits within, for example, the funding structure and the A-level reforms which have taken place in the last five, six years. And this is where the difficulties lie. Because core maths is not a two-year course, well, no, it is a two-year course, but it's a long, thin two-year course. It's supposed to last for two years, but in half the teaching time as, as an A-level or a, a full mm -hmm. BTEC. 
Um, and so that can be condensed into a full time one year course. It's not the same size or shape or appearance as what has now become the linear two year qualification. So although it was designed as a support course to run alongside uh, three other, well, usually three other two year qualifications, there is now no specific funding for that. The funding structure now in post 16 supports on average three two-year full qualifications right. and, and so institutions are having to work out how to balance that idea that comat is a great thing to do as a, a um, an enrichment if you like or an extension to broaden what students are doing in the sixth form or to support other subjects that they're doing in the sixth form but how do we fund it because it does not get direct funding so one of our recommendations is if if we want core maths to be taken up far more widely it must be directly funded mm. especially in the current climate where funding has been cut and is uh, and um it is it's it's a difficult issue for schools and colleges now and particularly small school six forms it's really really hard for small school six forms to offer these extra courses um, and are you finding that, Jack? Are you finding that your um, funding for it is threatened? Like, like I say, I'm, I, I'm quite lucky because the school were all for it. Mm. But don't forget, I've worked in a school where we decided, no, we're not going to go for this uh, because we are a oh, too busy. Yeah, previously, in my previous yeah. school, uh, because we're busy with the A-level. That's one issue. If you're going to run it, then you'll have to run it at your own time. And I think that's, that also put off the, uh, the pupils and the staff in that school. Could also just um, interject and say, if, if, if I was to think about maybe um, a couple of things I would put schools off, uh, or the flip side of it, if I, if I put a positive spin to it, if any school is thinking of taking core maths for the first time, then I think the two most important things would be, uh, first of all, getting as much information about core maths as possible. And if it means freeing up uh, teaching staff to go into a school that's already doing it to have a look at how it's been run, that would really help. I think, Gwen, you're doing a really good job today because you're raising the profile of Cormats as well. Um, three years ago, if, I, if I'd heard a post podcast like yourself speaking to a teacher who started recently, it probably would have swayed me to teach it for the first time, <laughs> if, if, if you know what I mean. Uh, the other thing I also say with uh, as, as regards to whether a school should take it up or not, uh, once you've had that honest conversation as a department uh, and decided, yes, we're going to teach Cormats for the first time, and no, we're not going to hold you responsible for bad grades if you end up with bad grades, or if you end up with good grades, that's something that we'll definitely celebrate. Um, it's to make sure that both the teachers and the students feel that they are actually doing a sixth form subject. Right. By that, what I mean is, do not ask the students to come up uh, to do core maths twice a week at the end of the day after having five lessons. The, yeah. the subject, the, the, the two lessons a week need to be timetabled as part of their normal timetable. And the flip side is also for the teachers. If you're trying to convince a teacher to teach core maths uh, during his or her free time, Friday at the end of the day, it's not going to happen. Jack, Jack's absolutely nailed it there. That You asked me the question earlier, what would I say to institutions that were, going, were thinking of running Cormas as to how best to run it, how to make it successful? And, and Jack just put his finger on, on the, the fact that you have to value it. The, the school or college must value this course. And 
it needs a strong senior leadership that are going to be supportive, even if it means that you will have to run it, um, uh, let's say, at, at, at a loss or by managing your finances very carefully because it's not directly funded. There are ways and means that money can be moved from one pot into another and, you know, cross subsidised and, and all of those things that, that schools have to manage all the time. If there is enough support and valuing of this as an opportunity for students then they will make it work within a school um that that has to be the most important thing not the grades yeah. you know it has to be that we value this opportunity for students to take maths yeah i must just add at this point that um the amsp the advanced math support program have done some case studies on different schools and colleges and how they have managed uh, core maths because i know that schools and colleges are doing it in many different ways so for anyone listening that is wondering about how they can work it into their timetable then it may be worth looking at those i'll put a link on the podcast page jack yeah. have you got any final observations anything you burning to say that i haven't asked you mm, not quite uh what i'd say i'm still learning and i think that's what's made me um uh, a good mathematician over the years I, I am still willing to learn um i'll give you a quick example of what I, what i would say is probably my my highlights throughout the year uh, one of them was walking into a room um with a really nice fermi estimation question which is one of the modules that people have to do for those who don't know what fermi estimation is is you pose a question where you could have a range of different answers coming through and the pupils will be allowed the full marks if they can justify the answers by stating assumptions and then doing a mathematically sound calculation. Right. So I walked into the room one day and I thought, yeah, I'm going to get them with this. Um, right. How many times does a human being blink in a lifetime? And I was like, yeah, that's going to keep them quiet for 10 minutes. <laughs> and uh, I think after about three minutes, one of the pupils piped up and said, so I'm going to go with zero. And I thought, <laughs> hang on a minute, hang on a minute. You've got to state your assumptions before you say zero. So I'm expecting you to tell me, right, you're going to assume that a pupil, a person blinks the same amount of times from childhood to adulthood. I'd expect you to tell me you are going to assume the average living age in the UK is um, 80 years old and all that. So I was expecting some proper mathematical assumptions. She just piped up and said, well, sir, if you're born with a disability and you're blind, you won't blink for all your life. And I was like, you know what? Yeah. Full marks. <laughs> I walked straight into that one. And that just show you that after after a few months of teaching her, uh, she was uh, confident enough to think critically about a question, yeah. but be brave enough to come up with an answer that was right out of the uh, uh, out of the park and be able to stand up and say, I think I'm correct with zero. Um, the other highlight was um, it was during lockdown. So I had a pupil who did call maths, but it was after a lot of encouragement from her parents because she was a good mathematician, but she decided, right, I've done my GCSEs, I've done my time, that's it, end of maths and me, never again. But she was, I would say, encouraged to have a good call maths, and if it didn't work out, guess what? It's fine. You can drop it after one term. Um, fast forward to, I think it was March or April, no, it was April this uh, this year, uh, after a month of uh, of being in lockdown, the same people dropped me an email and said, sir, just so that you know, just wanted to let you know that I have now started to complete an online accounting and bookkeeping course today. And I found the master you've been doing in class quite useful. 
Uh, this was a pupil who did not want to do anything with maths for the rest of her life. And I think core maths convinced her that there is still some use in it. Uh, and I, I, I took that as a success as well. Yeah, that's a lovely story and a lovely place to end, I think. Thank you ever so much for talking to us today, both of you. You've given me a real flavour of what core math feels like in the classroom, Jack. And also thanks to Rachel for giving us a picture of what it looks like around the country. No worries. Thank thanks you. for having me. Thank you. I hope those much. of you listening at home have been inspired with ideas if you already teach core maths or maybe inspired to look into it more if you don't yet do so. I'll put plenty of useful links on the podcast page so that you can find out more. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please do subscribe to the NCTM's podcast. Until next time, goodbye.